Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hi everybody, my name is Eric Arnell, and this is the first Nerdalog Presents Your Stories podcast of 2014. Appropriately, like last year, we're kicking things off with the theme of annual. A lot of people did a lot of music this time around, I guess just because they wanted to, which is awesome. Uh, in this episode, you'll hear some favorite 2013 tracks from Claire Friedman, Dwight Hassler, and myself. Plus, I do a little extra tune, and comedian Mary Z treats us to probably what is the best song ever written. You'll know it when you hear it. Uh, also included are stories from me, Mary, and friend of the group, Matthew Sudman. Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and thinking, gee, this is something I'd like to be involved with, uh, guess what? You totally can be. Our next Your Stories recording is this Sunday, January 19th, at the Public House Theater, 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago, uh, 7 o'clock. As always, it is free, and the theme is Full Hearts, whatever that makes you think of. Full Hearts. Uh, we'll be joined by special guests from the comedy troupe All Our Feelings at Once. Um, there's still plenty of space for other storytellers, though, so if you're interested, see our Facebook page for more info. Uh, also, while you're surfing around the internet, don't forget to check out our other great podcasts, of course, the Nerd Logcast and MBSing with Mary Beth Smith. Thanks everyone for listening, and here's to a great 2014. This is Annual 2, and it's Annual 2 for a couple reasons. One is, like Kevin and Chris said, we did Annual 1 a year ago. Um, <laughs> that does have to do with the winter season, the fact that the year is ending, but it also has to do with the fact that the Your Stories podcast is two years old this month. Yay. So, thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So now we're entering the terrible two, so pretty much <laughs> next year is just going to be very petulant and mean-spirited, and then we'll all get through it okay on the other side. But. <laughs> <laughs> See, it started already. <laughs> anyway, so something we did last year at Annual was we played some of our favorite songs from the year, and we're going to keep that going this year. Claire Friedman from Nerdlogs coming up here. We're going we're gonna to sing some, some rock and roll and some pop and some other shit. Uh, yeah, other shit, yeah. So this is, I don't know how you classify this. This group used to be like folk pop for a while, and they kind of, their latest album is super electronic. This song is kind of bridging the gaps. This is the only song I like on the album, but man, I like it a lot. This is Tegan and Sarah. All I want to get is a little bit closer. All I want to know is can you come a little closer? Here comes a breath before we Here comes the rush before we touch Come a little closer The doors are open, the wind is really blowing Like you're all starting to be cool. Oh, you think I'm 
Obviously, that's super awesome because then we can play songs like that. Unless you want a whole song of me singing in my very high falsetto, <laughs> which you may think you do now, but trust me, I'm not. It did. What's? Uh, well, I am also a giant. What is the name of this song? Here we go. Um, yeah. So I just got this guy today or yesterday. Um, me. You just got me today. <laughs> I think that's why the Guitar Center for $39.99. It was a sweet deal. Going cheap. <laughs> Got some sweet financing on this. Do you want to introduce this song since you picked it? I like this song. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Dwight, man of many words. It's, it's, it's good. I hope you like it too. It's, uh, uh, it's um, House of Gold by 21 Pilots. You guys know that song? No? It's about, 20- it's about his mom. It's nice. I, I like to call this band 21 Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, tried to get a, an impression of this, uh, what is, yeah, even the guy's name, I don't know. Never mind, that joke went nowhere. Let's just do this song. She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me a house of gold? And when your father turns to stone, will you take care of me? She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me a house of gold? And when your father turns to stone, will you take care of me? I will make you queen of everything you see. I'll put you on the map. 
I'll cure you of disease. Let's say we up and left this town and turned our future upside down. We'll make pretend that you and me lived ever after happily. She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me a house of gold? And when your father turns to stone, will you take care of me? Put you on the map, I'll cure you of disease. Oh, and since then we know that dreams are dead, and life turns plans up on their head. I will plan to be a bum, so I just might be. Come someone! She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you? me a house of gold and when your father turns to stone will you take care of me i will make you queen of everything you see i'll put you on the map i'll cure you of disease i got dwight over here that is a great song well, this is the part of the night where we'd enter the storytelling portion, and we are going to, and I'm going to tell a story, and I'm still going to keep this guy on my left for a second. Uh, so the theme tonight is annual, and uh, I used to... Eric Gardner, everybody! I said my name already. <laughs> There's other people who are going to talk. It's not just me up here. But uh, anyway, I just don't want to grab this a second time. So um, I used to own a comic book store, uh, as opposed to just working at one, which I do now. I used to own one. And every year, we would have an Elliot Smith tribute concert, because one of our customers was super, super into Elliot Smith, and uh, he thought... I remember that! <laughs> Thanks, Dwight. And uh, you'll probably be at this event that I'm about to talk about. And uh, he thought it would be cool to use our back room to pay tribute to Elliot Smith. So every year on the anniversary of his death, which is fairly morbid, I suppose, we'd get a bunch of unplugged artists from the area to just come and play Elliot songs and kind of share their love of Elliot Smith. Um... I had no kind of relationship with Elliot Smith at all. I had barely heard the name, even. But I'm like, well, this is my store, and I like playing guitar, so yeah, I'll play. Like, it's my prerogative as a shop owner. And um, I learned a couple of Elliot songs, and I learned, like, a Scorpion song, because he was unironically a Scorpions fan, and so am I. So I'm like, yeah, I'm going to fucking play the Scorpions. <laughs> and uh, I learned this next song uh, I'm going to play here, uh, which is by a band called Rilo Kylie. And uh, what what's kind of interesting is uh, about that night to me is the first Elliot Smith tribute show. Uh, I ended up because of my performance, kind of. I mean, also just because of other things. But uh, I met a girl that night that I ended up dating for a while, and it wasn't a great relationship. But I will always connect Elliot Smith with her. And uh, there was a lot of things that went wrong in that relationship. But I think one of the things uh, that did us in, and I've never asked, so I'm not about to ask now, but I think she, like, when I when I finally revealed that, like, yeah, I, I'm not actually that into Elliot Smith, like, I think that actually, like, dismayed her, because she came to my shop in Lansing, Illinois, from, like, 
30 minutes, 40 minutes away. Like, to hear guys and girls fucking sing their hearts out Elliot Smith, and I have no emotional connection to it. And I, I think when she found out the truth, she was just kind of like, oh, well, but that's why, like, I, I noticed you, you know? And I don't know. Again, I have no confirmation of that, but that always sticks in my head. And I wonder, I wonder if maybe, like, again, that wasn't what ended the relationship, but it might have been part of it. And I just, I wonder if... Uh, if that, if I was like performing under false pretenses somehow. So what I'm saying, guys, is I'm not performing the song because I love Elliot Smith. I, I like Elliot Smith okay from what I've heard. I mostly just think this is a cool song. Um, it wasn't originally done on ukulele, but all the covers that exist of it and most of the tabs are for you because it fits really well. Uh, it's a song about Elliot Smith. And I'm a big believer that whenever you get, like, anything that plays music, be it a stereo or an instrument, you have to christen it. When I got my mandolin, I, the first song I played on it was Battle of Evermore by Led Zeppelin, which we played at the Your Stories. So this was the song I christened my ukulele with this morning before I learned House of Gold. See if I remember how to play this guy. This is called Ripcord. Attempt at record for Ilo Kylie. Thank you guys. Ukulele Kristen. Right, Matthew Sudman. Come on up. All right. So, uh, according to the Facebook invite for uh, tonight's Your Stories, an annual also refers to a comic book collection of some sort. I'm not quite sure. I had to Google it. Um, <laughs> Because despite, uh, you know, coming to an event hosted by the Nerdalogs, I've never been much of a comic book reader uh, for any number of reasons. I have no idea why. I've only read a handful of graphic novels. Um, adaptations I'll consume regularly. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of the MCU, the DCAU, and other non-acronym-related things. But when it comes to comic books themselves... I really have read one or two. 
which is really funny because I've read a lot of comics anthologies, but not comic books, but newspaper comics. Um, the funny pages, as nobody refers to them anymore. Um, I, I had big books of Calvin and Hobbes and Foxtrot and uh, The Far Side. Um, and, you know, I, I think, like, the when I was growing up, I would read those frequently. You know, the mid-'90s were kind of the high-water mark, or at least the last high-water mark for newspaper comics. Um, and it's all gone downhill since then. Um, you know, the, digi- the move to digi- digitalization is, you know, not only, uh, you know, creating some havoc with print journalism, but all the things that go with it, and that includes newspaper comics. And... I don't even think web comics are as popular as they once were, although that's a totally uninformed opinion, so <laughs> feel free to strike me down for that. Um, and you know, one of the, the, the things that I remember was um, you know, getting into that, I used to read a lot. My, my dad would have these old comic book collections in his office, um, it was his office, but really it was just a place where he stored all his junk, um, including you know these old comics anthologies. So there was uh, Pogo and Doonesbury, which I didn't really care for. Um, Bloom County I read a lot, which as a kid goes completely over your head, because on the surface it's about these precocious kids and talking animals in a subversive Calvin and Hobbes vein. What it really is is a really biting critique of the Reagan-era 80s, and looking back on it now, it's really funny. But at the time, I was just like, ah, oh, it's these, yeah, they're, they're goofing on Star Wars. Um, but the, the ones that I identified the most with was Peanuts. Um, my dad had a dozen, couple dozen volumes of old, uh, Charlie Brown anthologies in, uh, in a, in a closet. I don't think he ever touched them. I read them much more than he did, read and reread them. Um, you know, it was especially during the summers. I I didn't go to school in the neighborhood, and so I didn't really know a lot of kids there. I didn't really, wasn't really friends with many of them, and so I'd be bored a lot, and something to do to pass the time when I was growing up would be to just go and, and read whatever he had. And uh, these Peanuts anthologies was... Um, you know, he just had books and books about them, and you know, it's 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 funny because you know they're they're really depressing. Most of them are when you think about peanuts. I mean, of course, they're funny. Um, they were funny then. They're funny now in slightly more of a quaint, old-fashioned way. Uh, but they're really an ode to failure in most cases. Um, you know, they're they're very humane, very humanist, um, and. I, I always admired, you know, the the perseverance of Charlie Brown, you know, dealing with, you know, trauma after trauma, the the quiet dignity of Linus, um, you know, the in the spirit of the season, I think we can all agree that the Charlie Brown Christmas special is one of the greatest works of fiction ever created. Um, and given how much I identified with those characters, you can kind of guess that elementary school was not the high point of my life. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just funny that now, you know, I've 
all those books, they're, they either got thrown away or, or donated. Uh, my parents downsized to a townhouse after I graduated from college and those books are somewhere now. Um, over Thanksgiving, I put all of my old Calvin and Hobbes and Farside books into a donation pile to go to the library. Um, they were just taking up space in a closet. Uh, hadn't been looked at in years, definitely not the five years since my parents moved, so they uh, freed up some space and some old boxes. And so I'm not really going to be able in, you know, with my theoretical future children to give them the same experience that I had. Um, and now that we're moving into digitizing everything, uh, I certainly enjoy physical media, but the trend's moving elsewhere. Um, but most of the books I have right now, they're, you know, meant for adults. Um, and I, you know, change apartments frequently, so I try to keep my bookshelf fairly lean. So I'm not really going to be able to do that for, you know, my children in the future. And, you know, it's a little sad in a way, especially because, you know, I, I kind of got into that appreciation of, I guess, comics in general, but Peanuts in particular, you know, through a lack of other options. Um, I didn't have cable TV growing up, and what I could watch was limited to edutainment. Um, you know, I didn't get, you know, even dial-up internet until middle school. So, you know, the, the, you had an option, and that was a room full of books, and that's kind of what I fell into. And, you know, thinking about the future, you know, you can't really you know, filter, you know, TV, movies, the internet, without a lot of involvement. And there's really not going to be much of an opportunity for, you know, Matt Jr. in the future to be in a room with books to discover something on his own and appreciate it. And that's kind of sad. Thank you, Matt. Um, man, I can recommend some comics to you. I have such a long list. I'm going to throw out Why the Last Man is a good place to start. That series is magic. All right, guys. We have a lot of music tonight, not just for me, Claire, and Dwight. Uh, Mary Zemitis is going to come Woo! up here. Bit closer. Okay. Don't touch it. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we have fun here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm just gonna pull up your lyrics. Actually, I'll oh, awesome. Away from now. Cool. Okay, just a little, just a little bit of setup right now. Yep. Just a little bit of setup. Um, tonight, I'm going to talk about the best Christmas gift I ever gave anyone. Uh, but first, I must establish this. Joss Whedon is personally responsible for my greatest lifelong friendship. <laughs> to explain, uh, I have known my best friend Rachel since the first grade, 
but it wasn't in, we didn't become really good friends until the seventh grade when I overheard her talking about an episode of Buffy that she had watched the night before. <laughs> uh, it was either that or she had a friend who had slept with a vampire who lost his soul. Uh, <laughs> and we didn't have vampires at our school. Um, <laughs> so it couldn't have been that. Um, so we became like, that was our gateway for our friendship. Uh, we realized we had so much more in common, but it was really talking about Buffy episodes that really bonded and cemented our friendship. Um, unfortunately, uh, when it came time to go to high school, we ended up having to go to different high schools. We lived a mile apart, but the way that the school districts were set, she went to Tinley Park and I went to Oak Forest. And we were so distraught that we weren't going to be able to talk about the Buffy episodes <laughs> Wednesday morning in homeroom anymore. Um, so what we decided is that every Tuesday, I would go over to Rachel's house um, and eat a sensible yet delicious meal with her family, uh, which, by the way, her family, uh, when they had salad with their dinner, they put it in a separate bowl, which, like, blew my mind. <laughs> Because my family, we just put the salad on the regular dinner plate like the animals that we were. Uh, but I, di I digress. Uh, and we would watch Buffy, and th we did that every single Tuesday night of the entire four years of, of high school. Whether we had too much AP homework or it was the seventh season and the episode sucked. We still... <laughs> hey. <laughs> Just endless inspirational speeches from Buffy. That's what season seven is. Um, we, we would always get together every Tuesday night. And so our junior year was when the Buffy musical episode came out. Um, and so when it became Christmas time, I was trying to think of a really cool present that I could give Rachel. And what I came up with was writing her a book of songs about Buffy. <laughs> it's called Getting the Wiggins. <laughs> a Buffy compilation of various artists. <laughs> now, guys, this is not just a book of songs that I wrote about Buffy. There is... A concept, a very high concept around this book. What I, what I did was, I created like a universe in the future where Buffy, the Buffy musical had been on Broadway and was a smash success with tons of Tonys. Everyone loved the Buffy musical. But that also it ended up being so popular that famous singers and bands would end up writing and performing songs about Buffy on their own. So Joss Whedon released a compilation CD of all of the best songs that famous artists had written about Buffy. And this is the, like, the companion guide to that. It has all the lyrics to the songs, and it lists the names of the songs and who wrote them. And there's also... Uh, there's also commentary from Joss Whedon. <laughs> oh, you know, about how the, 
the songs came about. I mean, little little Easter eggs about all guys. It's got all the hits about Buffy. It's got the G-Man rap written and performed by Anthony Stewart Head. Um, it's got I'm in love with Xander Harris. Uh, I want Net Girl back, and it's not, and I made. You know, this kind of attention to detail is something you only see from best friends and schizophrenics. <laughs> <laughs> and on top, like, there's about ten songs that I wrote, and on top of writing this, the, the cherry on top of this gift was that I performed all of these songs for Rachel in her room a cappella. <laughs> and I should be institutionalized. It's like, this is not normal what I did. Um, but now uh, I am actually, in a few months, I'm going to be a bridesmaid in Rachel's wedding. And I don't think we would have stayed friends if... I hadn't heard her talk about Buffy if we hadn't decided we were going to watch Buffy every Tuesday. Um, so Joss Whedon is personally responsible for all of this. And, you know, like I said, I sang all of these a cappella um, when I originally performed this for Rachel. Um, but luckily, uh, we have a few talented musicians, uh, in the audience. So, what I would like to perform for you tonight, uh, it's a song called She Saved the World a Lot. Um, it was written by Joss Whedon. And performed by two people, Michelle Trachtenberg and Sophia Shaw. And before we get into it, I'd like to read the, the linear notes from Joss Whedon. Uh, this is quite a bonus. <laughs> Michelle Trachtenberg was originally supposed to sing this song at Buffy's funeral in the episode of The Gift. But it was cut because it disrupted the flow of the episode. Luckily, though, it was used for Buffy on Broadway with the famous actress Sophia Shaw as Dawn. This tremendous song that I wrote for an award-winning show and musical is quite emotional and well-written by me. <laughs> um, so let me just adjust. Sorry, Dwight. I don't mean to touch it. Um, so this is She Saved the World a Lot. <clears throat> you ready? <laughs> you good? Yeah, I'm right, good. Cool. She said, the hottest thing in this world is to live in it. Yet she loved it so much she would die for it. The tears dropped from my eyes as the pain washed over her face. Who'd have known in death she would find her place? She whispered to me, her last testaments and wills Woo! All to keep my blood from getting spilled I'll never forget how she could be so brave I'll never forget how she died to save the day Oh, Buffy and Summers, red 
in peace. Publish that whole book. <laughs> this has been a Nerdalogs production. For more on the Nerdalogs and our shows, please go to www.nerdalogs.com. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.